if you're making something to impress your motion nerd friends, then you can't use the presets. You know what I mean? Like they're going to know you used the, the shine red and orange preset. Your client doesn't. That's, this is not their world. You're making stuff to, to impress them and their, their customers. So every once in a while, I'm in a situation where I'm not sure I'm making the right decision. There's that part inside of me, you guys, if I'm being honest, that says, go back to doing whatever you're doing and don't do this thing that you're about to do. What am I talking about? Well, let me take you back to Las Vegas, NAB 2017. I got an invitation to go to a Cinema 4D Maxon after party. And it was going to be at the Pinball Museum. That was the hook for me. I love playing pinballs. So I was given some obscure instructions to meet somewhere at a certain entrance at the MGM Grand Hotel. And I spent 30 minutes, I swear to you, this is not an exaggeration, bouncing from one entrance to the other looking for the golden lion, which nobody knew what I was talking about. And I'm standing outside where I think I'm supposed to be. And it's one of these weird back alley situations, right? It's, it's one of these weird back alley situations where nobody's there. And I see the shuttle, which I'm assuming is it. I look at the guy. He looks back at me. He makes no motion like, come on in. Let me help you. So I assume this is the wrong thing. There's no signage or anything like that. And think I've wasted a perfectly good night. I should be heading back to my hotel room and getting some rest because I am beat. Tomorrow's a big day. And right then and there, I was thinking, you know what? I don't want to hike out to the main entrance and get a cab. A cab pulls up. Just kind of in the distance, I see a headlight. And I'm thinking, I don't know if he's dropping somebody off. He pulls up to the curbside. I look at him and motion, hey, are you picking people up? He goes, yeah, where are you going? And I tell him, I'm going to the pinball museum. Really nice guy. And he says, you know what? Are they open? I said, yeah, no, of course they're open. There's a party going on there. He says, I'll take you. So I get in the car and I head on out there. And I was thinking, maybe, maybe this was meant to be. Maybe I'm supposed to go to this party. And then as I'm heading there, I'm thinking, all right, now that... My body is committed to this thing. Now the second fear pops into my head. I don't know anybody at this party. Who am I going to talk to? This is so weird. This is not my thing. I am not good in social situations just like this. I get out of the cab. I go in and I do what I normally do, which is, you know what? Let me just get some water, some ice water, something like that. I'm making steps towards the bar. And I'm telling you, Within 20 feet of walking in from this museum, this voice from behind says, Christo! And I turn slowly, thinking, I don't recognize the voice. It's so my, I'm like, panic is setting in. Like, who is this person? How do I know them? And I don't want to embarrass myself. And like, somebody knows me and I don't know them. It's a weird situation to be in. Turn over, he reaches out his hand, and it's Nick Campbell from Grayscale Gorilla. Now, this is a pretty lengthy intro for us. Why am I telling you this story? Maybe this podcast was meant to happen. Nick and I have never spoken before, and we chatted for 45 minutes straight. If he wasn't hosting the event, we probably would have talked all night long. Stick around for episode one, you guys. This is a two-part series. 
think you're going to really like this. It's always nice when you find kindred spirits, people who are in the education space. There's not a lot of us. So when you meet another person that's doing the same thing but farther along in their career, it's awesome to sit down and talk. And Nick was super gracious, so I knew I had to get this on a podcast. My name is Nick Campbell, and uh, I run Grayscale Gorilla, and man, I, I just love playing and learning. That's uh, that's that's what I try to fill my days with. Okay, so since you're coming on to our podcast and being so gracious, I want to let people know what Grayscale Grayscale Gorilla is, in case they don't know. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, Grayscale Gorilla, we we consider it our job to make motion designers' jobs easier. So we started off mostly as a training site to, you know, learn about Cinema 4D and other motion design, you know, software. We do a little bit of After Effects in there. And it all stems from the idea that, you know, we're, we're trying to speed up the workflow and make your job easier. So now we have, you know, uh, tens of thousands of customers that buy our plugins, products, our HDRI packs, texture packs, animation tools, and training all to help you become a better motion designer and also um, help get out what's in your head and put it on the screen and do it in an efficient way so that you can, you know, charge your customer or charge your clients more money and just do your best work. So that's kind of our our mission. We consider our mission to make the motion design process as fun and as easy as possible, starting right when you are interested in all this stuff all the way through to when you have clients and when you're, you know, starting to charge. So, yeah, so that's what we do. If you're into motion design, come check us out. We, uh, we got a plenty of tutorials to get you up and running. Yeah, you do. And you you do podcasting, right? And you do YouTube videos. You're releasing so much content. You're streaming online too because I remember looking at one of your streams and thinking, I wonder where this is going to go. Like, what is, how is he going to do this? And I was probably a little bit geeking out and fascinated by the technology you're using, let alone just the personality and all that kind of stuff on camera. Now, I have to admit something. I've known about your product longer than I've known you as a human being. Okay, so when did Grayscale Gorilla start? Wow, so the the site itself has a as a weird history. Uh, it started off as a photo blog when I was um, kind of amateur photographer back when digital cameras were new and super expensive, and four megabytes was uh, was a fifteen hundred dollar camera for me, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I got obsessed. My 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 history has always just been obsessed with how things work. I just I love asking how do you do that? How do things work? And when photography uh, was a slow process of learning, where you had to do film and wait for it and go pay a bunch of money to see how many mistakes you made, it just wasn't compelling. And as digital photography took off, I you know got into um, the gear and got into the idea that that this is a good way for me to start to learn some design concepts. And we'll get into my kind of maybe design history and how I accidentally learned to become a better designer. But uh, to get to the site, Grayscale Gorilla was a photo a day blog for three or four years. I posted a photo a day, uh, which really meant uh, I took about two to 300 photos a day, went back through and found my favorite ones. I learned, you know, composition and a lot about lighting and photography. And so it started off there. Um, As blogs became a thing, so I'm starting to date myself, but... um, you know, as blogs online became a thing, I thought, well, let me add a blog uh, uh, part to this website. 
not just a photo a day. Let me also answer some of these questions that people have been asking me. Hey, uh, you know, they would ask me, Nick, you know, what lenses are you using? What gear are you using? How do you use Photoshop? Uh, how do you color correct? And so I started a blog and I started making video tutorials, which were also a newer concept at the time. And I'm, I'm sure you remember some of these days, you know, YouTube was only a, a couple years old at this point. And so I started putting out videos on Vimeo and YouTube all about my camera gear and all that. Well, the photo gear stuff turned into After Effects stuff when, you know, some of my, you know, some of the people that watched the website and followed along learned that I worked at uh, Digital Kitchen in Chicago. And they said, hey, you know, you also know After Effects. Why not do some After Effects tutorials? I said, that's a great idea. You know, my favorite teachers um, have always, you know, my, some of my favorite teachers I've learned just through, through you know, DVD series and VHS series. Like, I, I loved the concept of teaching online. So I just started doing these videos and sitting down behind After Effects and Photoshop and making tutorials. Well, as, you know, as... After Effects um, turned, as my obsession with After Effects turned more and more into an obsession with Cinema 4D, um, I also started making tutorials there as well. So again, it all came back, it all comes back to just me being interested in all this technology and how it works and how to make beautiful stuff. So, um, wait, before you go further, yeah. I, I want to get some timestamp here. Like, what year are we talking about? Because you mentioned these things. I'm like, I think I know what year that is, but I just want to be sure. <laughs> what are so, we talking about here? This is around 2007, 2008. So right when, you know, YouTube and Vimeo started popping up as um, places to put video for free, that was the key. You could, you could put video online before that, but it cost so much money and it was the size of, size of a postage uh, stamp. I remember that. <laughs> you know, so um, this was around, you know, 2003 or four was when I started the, the photo blog. That's when I went to school. I was in Chicago, you know, learning how to, um, learning how to, I was building my career at that point, right? I was learning After Effects. I was going to school, and uh, photography was just one of those things I was obsessed with. So, uh, you know, I I wish it was a more direct story, but I th these accidental things um, I think play a huge part in everyone's life. You know how how you learn certain things. The way that I learned design through photography really helped me with all this stuff. I feel like I'll probably get off topic if you let me, but so that was that was the 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 year. And so to get to the site as it is now, um, somewhere around 2008, 2009, I realized um, I had an opportunity. I was, I was learning all this stuff. I was loving my job at Digital Kitchen. I loved learning and, and playing around with design and loved After Effects, loved Cinema 4D. But there was this new thing I was interested in and it was business. I realized that I was interested in running my own business. I had some success on the iTunes store. I made some um, some iPhone apps, and those were you know selling and doing well. I was even experimenting at the time with stock photography and stock video, um, which introduced me to the concept that that I could potentially make something once and then sell it ongoing. Ooh, I'm rubbing my hands together now. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> it, 
I read the books, right? I read the the four hour work week. I read mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. I read these things and terms like passive income and all this stuff was kind of floating around. But it wasn't until I realized that I could literally take photos because I said, like I said, I was taking hundreds of photos a day, literally take photos that weren't necessarily artistically valuable, but were um, valuable to other people. So textures, you know, backgrounds, really simple photos that other people could buy and use ongoing. So th- it was, it really was an eye-opening opportunity to say, wow, this is interesting. I could obsess over something like photography or Cinema 4D or After Effects, put the work in, make make as beautiful things as I could, and then put it out into the world. And if it's valuable to other people, I could potentially make money on that ongoing and not always have to trade my hour for a dollar. Oh, so good. Okay. I'm trying to write notes as fast as I can about things that we can talk about. I just want to clarify a couple of things. And, and maybe I, you said it, but I wasn't listening because I was busy writing. What did you study and what school did you go to again? So I went to the AI school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets tricky in Chicago because there's the Art Institute down there, but it's the Illinois Institute of Art is where I went. Um, and I got one of those degrees that they never know how to name it. You know, it's it's like digital media production, I think mm-hmm. was officially the title. But what it really was, was a little bit of filmmaking, a little bit of editing, a little bit of After Effects, Photoshop. It's kind of one of those let's teach you a little bit of everything kind of degrees. And what drew you to that program or that major or that school? You know, um, it, I, I, looking back on it, what I was really obsessed about was After Effects. I, um, I saw work back, you know, right when the, right now I'm really dating myself, right when the internet was, uh, you know, hot, letting video online at all you know i started watching things like mk12 and oh yeah sweater porn dude the 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 sweater porn video and the um man of action video were basically the two things that got me way into this Uh, that and then i was also obsessed with a with music videos so the whole michelle gondry um like uh, you know series of dvds right the the chris cunningham and yeah yeah it's the director series i think that's what it's yeah, I have that. Oh my god, so good. So I was I knew I was obsessed with short film and short media and commercial work and then MK12 kind of packaged it all up for me cuz I was obsessed with recording. I was doing record recording engineering at the time. I was a pro tools nerd and what I realized was After Effects was my answer. For about 10 years of my life, I looked into After Effects and I said, "This tool here not only helped make all this stuff that I find beautiful, but it accepts all of the weird, disparate things that I'm into right now. It, it, you could throw photography in After Effects. You could throw video. You could throw audio in After Effects. You could throw 3D in After Effects. You could do 3D in After Effects, right? Like that was new back then where you could fly around in After Effects in, in, in 3D. Um, so I go, that's what I wanted. So I picked a school basically to say they are they are going to teach me how to take this piece of software and... Uh, and learn enough about it to go get a job doing this because I know I just want to sit here and obsess over this tool. Well, you probably know some of the story as you go in. I realized that the more I learned about this tool and the more I understood how every button in After Effects worked, and then I tried to make my own work, and I would look at my final renders and go, my stuff looks nothing like MK12. (laughs) 
what am I? What button am I missing here? What uh, what plugin do I need to buy that will make me look more like MK12? And it was um, luckily some smart friends of mine that said, "Dude, you just suck at design." <laughs> we call those people friends. Uh, those are my favorite friends, man. Yeah. I tell you what, if you, if you have a friend that could tell you when you got a booger or when you when you're bad at design, that's a good friend, man. And and uh, luckily I I had those friends. So. Mm. They said, not only are you bad at it, but the good news is, is they, they kept going. They, they, they also said, this is why you're bad at design and, and this is how to make it better. And they started teaching me the tools um, and showing me maybe some of the classes too that I should take to go learn design. Was this in school or is this at a Digital Kitchen? So it was in, in school, there was a, a, a few of my friends that said, yo, you got to learn type you got to go learn these things and some teachers too that kind of took me under their wing but it wasn't until i worked at digital kitchen when the when when two things happened the gloves really came off on the negative side where they said you need to learn this like nick you know every button in after effects you're a good animator but if you don't learn these design skills like you're bringing us all down right so luckily i also had mentors at digital kitchen that said hey dude let you need you need some design boot camp mm. and they brought me under their wing and they said here's why you don't use the lasso typeface here's why <laughs> we're using papyrus and comic sans as well <laughs> well why would they put them there unless unless you're supposed to use them chris that's fair enough <laughs> i thought you throw everything at it right i was i was in the mind of like well design is throwing a lot at something. And they they taught me how you could be elegant in design. They taught me how I should focus on using three fonts and just understanding how those typefaces work and work within the boundaries. Um, they taught me to limit my color palette, limit my font choices. Like, you know what, Here, here's the thing for me is I'm, I didn't get into this because I was a designer. I didn't want to be a designer. That wasn't my goal. I didn't want to be an artist. I just wanted to make the cool stuff I saw on TV. And what what not a lot of, you know, nobody pulled me aside and said, the reason that stuff is beautiful that's on TV is beautiful is because it's designed well, not because they know more software than you do. And that was a long, I still learned that lesson, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I still look at my work and go, what plugin do I need to, to make it look like um, Chris Cunningham? And it, it it isn't. It's all about design. And that that was a long lesson for me. So, you know, to, to, to get it back into the website, whenever we teach, you know, we have over 500 hours of online training right now. Wow. And whenever we teach, our goal is to teach the technology, like you need to know the tech, but to always try to include why we are making the decisions we're making. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. We're, tr we're trying to teach you a little bit of the design stuff as we teach you the tech, because they have to go hand in hand or else, you know, it's not going to look the way you want it to. So that's been a, um, a big push for us. And it's been a big struggle for me as, as a reluctant designer, you know, <laughs> like learning these, these concepts, I just, I didn't know I need to learn. Yeah, what's really interesting about what you just said there was that a lot of people in our community that are people listening to this right now are self-taught. And 
when they find out about the rules of design, and there are rules and theories, this is the foundation of what makes for a good design, they have one of two reactions. The, the general reaction is, no, that's dumb. That's, I don't want to do that. And they continue on kind of blissfully ignorant about what good design is, and then they struggle with getting work or producing work that measures up to that work that they admire. So I love hearing from you where you kind of just threw yourself on the sword and it's like, okay, I do suck. Like, I know it's not that good. And so teach me. Give me the limitations. Tell me the theory. Give me the foundation that I need. And I'm sure then you saw your work transform pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I I think if I'm good at anything, it's that I'm a good student. Um, I, I, I think that's one of one of the things I'm good at, probably the thing that help, has helped me become more successful, um, has I've always felt like I'm a student. I always have something to learn. So with, when there's somebody that makes better work than I do, that has some advice for me, I'm going to take it. And more importantly, I'm going to put it into action, right? Because it's easy to hear why it should be different, but it's much it's it's much more difficult to go take any advice. This goes with any advice, by the way to take the advice and go put it in action. And I think that's one of the things that I've, I've, um, that has really helped me in my career is the ability to go, okay, uh, you, you obviously know more about this. Um, and having that student mind of saying, I'm open and I am, I, I want to be better. How, how do I go be better? So, um, man, it, it really did help. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of one mentor in particular that was really tough. He was a tough guy. And I kind of thrive on those personalities that are a little bit too blunt, you know. Um, but over and over again, he would walk by my desk and go, dude, not good. Like, you got to step this up. Try this. Move this. And and what was really good was he didn't just reach in and change it uh like he didn't just reach up into my, you know, uh, grab my mouse and just go change it for me because that I wouldn't have learned that way he asked me good questions and he said, what if you tried this? And it, does this seem too busy or too simple? He would ask me these really great questions. And I remember the one day he walked by and I was waiting for like, I was waiting for my little critique of the day and my little, my little head shake of shame from him from the day. And instead he came by and he goes, dude, it's looking good, man. And he walked away and I'm like, I'm shivering now just telling you the story because that moment was when like I did, I felt like I was getting better. And he, he like just that one little simple phrase, like, let me know too, like this is working. Um, it took a lot of work, but yeah, I mean, learning design skills was a struggle for me. Uh, it still is a struggle, <laughs> but <laughs> it's huge. It's so huge. So many layers to peel back here. I love this part. So I want to dive in a little bit deeper and have you I'm going to give you some space to think and then hopefully you can come back with a great response but you mentioned this thing like maybe your best attribute your best skill is to be a good student I always describe myself as a life learner so what you're saying resonates with me uh, I, I'm not a young person and I still feel like there's still so much more to learn and the more you learn the more I realize the more I don't know it's like only those that are ignorant or uh, what, I don't know what the other word is, think that they already know it all. To know that you don't know, right? That's, that's, I think that's the Socrates thing. And you now just mentioned something about the Socratic approach. When this friend, art director, creative director came by your desk, he didn't just give you prescriptive things to do. 
whether he did it with your mouse or just told you what to do, he would ask you questions. And by leading you through self-discovery, it allowed for you to find the answer yourself and have deeper meaning with that. So the question for you, and you've already mentioned a couple of them, is what makes for a really great student? You mentioned having an open mind, but how do you overcome that initial defensiveness? Because we have attachment to the work, right? And people come to me all the time and say, oh, what do you think of the work? And then I would say three things and they would defend every single thing along the way. So I so said, you really don't want to change anything. So I'm going to move on. So how how is it that you don't have that ego? And how did you get rid of that? Or was it there? I mean, what's your trick? Um, that's, uh, let me think about that. I'm glad you said I could have a little space to think. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that pops into my head with that is self-awareness of how my work stacks up to my heroes. The ability for me to look at my work and know that it doesn't look like, insert your favorite studio here, in my case, MK12, for me to look at that and know that I put a lot of work and energy into this thing and then it still doesn't have the same polish and the same keyframes and the same design as my stuff, that pushes me to find a better answer. So so to tie it into becoming a good student, it's it's understanding that th- that the answer is only available if you ha- if you know that there's a problem. If you have no problems, right? If everything's fine, like like the the example that you gave, if if they look at the work and they say no, it's perfect as it is, and there's nothing that needs to be changed about it, well, that um, that does not invite uh, any space in your own head to change anything. And here's the other part. It also doesn't encourage others around you to share what works for them. So it's not just a barrier to your own head to, to make changes. It's also a barrier to finding the mentor that can help you. Because if somebody wants to come up and if, if, if somebody were to say, hey, your design stuff is pretty bad and I want to help you, and I were to say, no, it's not, it's fine. End of conversation, like they're not gonna come back to me tomorrow and give me another tip about design. They, they're they like, he doesn't want to be helped. Uh, I'm gonna stay away. So, uh, you know, I guess this does get back to an open mind, but it's understanding that, you know, it's understanding that you're, you are not where you want to be and you have more to learn. And I think that's what makes a lifelong learner, like you said, is the more you know, the more you don't know, the more you understand how much more there is out there to do it. So I I try to have that um, feeling in general. Uh, I definitely still am connected to my own work sometimes. You know, we, we make a lot of uh, plugins now and software and and I still find myself going, I think it should be this way. And when I think about it, it, it doesn't need to be any certain way other than that's how I think it should be, right? So I still struggle with this. Um, but ultimately, if you look, if you, if you're looking for the truth, if you're looking for something better, you have to make space for it in your head. I think what you're talking about even goes beyond because when you first said you have to have an open mind, meaning I'm receptive to hearing external criticism, 
you're saying invite it, seek it,、mm-hmm. and they're connected. So when you listen and you grow, and you're you're actually like、uh, almost like、um, I don't know, like a pet. It's like the 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 boss is coming by. It's like I'm I'm really excited about it, and here they come. They're gonna say it, and I'm gonna grow. And you looked at it. All the criticisms are designed to help you grow. So there's a mind sh-、uh, mind shift, a mindset change there. Instead of looking as negative, like your work is not good enough, these are just opportunities to learn and grow. The other thing that you said was about being really objective, detaching yourself from your own work, and then holding it up as if it were made by somebody else, and comparing it to your heroes, and saying, "Well." Why did it fall short? What is the difference between these two? Because I can feel it. I might not be able to articulate it, but I feel it. What did you want to say? No, I I, I think、um, you articulate it better than I do, which I'm glad <laughs> glad you're writing this stuff down. I am. You know, it it is it is about craving that feedback. You know, we we would do. We we do stuff on our site like render challenges. We used to do、uh, five second projects where it was five seconds of animation. That you submit and and do that and it's a it's a it's a really great thing for the community and we love doing them. But one of the things we found is that it was just a bunch of hey good job hey good job hey good jobs,、um, and there wasn't as as much of that critique. So one of the things we started to do was say hey reach out to maybe some friends of yours, some closer friends, maybe other people that are in the design industry. And say, hey, can you tell me one or two things you like about this, and one or two things you don't like about it? And really structuring that feedback, and really asking for honest feedback, because they won't, people won't give it to you、um, if you don't ask. It's very rare that somebody's going to come up and say,、um, "Hey, th- th- this could be better for you, and this is how、um, how it could be better." So, if you if you're vulnerable, if you're open, and you say, "Hey, I'm really struggling with this,、uh, can you help me with it?" People love to help. Like people love. To help, this is something that I don't think、um, a lot of people understand. People think they're gonna. A lot of students think they're gonna bug somebody if they go ask for help. But think of the last time that somebody walked up to you on the street and asked you for directions. If you live in a city, this happens more than if you、uh, if you don't live in the city. But when I was in Chicago, people would come up and go, "Hey, where's the Lego store?" You know, I'd be downtown and be like, "Dude, let me tell you." You gotta go here. It's a little hard to find. You can kind of take a right, and boom. How how good did I feel after that? Right? Like how how good of a person did I feel just by giving some directions? So if you invite these people into your world and say, "Hey, I'm struggling with this. Is there something that you do that can help me move forward in my career, in my design, in my animation, wherever you are in your world?"、Um, it is good for both of you. People like to help. People like to. Share what's worked for them, and again, they also like to see progress in you. If you say, "Hey, good idea," and then don't do anything about it, that 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 relationship can go away. At least the the helpful part of it.、Um, so I I always again ask for feedback, and then I implement it. Even if even if I'm not sure if it's going to work for me, I try it. I make sure that I try it first, and then go. That doesn't work for me. Rather than that, rather than that's a really subtle difference. Rather than just say that、nah, that won't work for me, I try it first, and then I go, I I should not do a、uh, hundred pushups. <laughs> you know,、uh, like this this works for more than just design. This is the real,、right. 
this is the real mindset of becoming better at whatever you're trying to do. Right. Well, you're, you're touching on a couple of things here. One of the four pillars of happiness is perceived progress. So the people that, oddly enough, sometimes invite criticism, don't want it. So you're happy, just keep doing the same thing. That's fine. Don't invite it. But when you're talking about this relationship between you and a potential mentor or just a friend who's going to give you some advice, they they get joy in helping you. It feels good in the heart, feels good for the soul. But if you don't make progress and they're like, well, I'm wasting my time. Either I'm a bad teacher or you're a bad student or something. I'd rather go spend my energy doing something else. So this is about growth. And that's awesome. Um, and the thing you talked about, not dismissing something that you don't intuitively understand and just going for it. It's how you expand your palate. It's how you expand everything, a new technique, whatever it is. I think, oddly enough, you and I, we share very similar life philosophies because when you're talking about these things, I immediately relate to it. That's probably why you're so successful doing what you do. Can we jump into the business stuff? Dude, I, lo I love business stuff. Okay, let's do the business stuff. So how would you describe Grayscale Gorilla? Is it a product platform? Is it an educational thing? How do you describe it to yourself, to your team, and to others? Well, I, the, the main way I think about Grayscale Gorilla is as a community. So to me, the reason we're everywhere, the reason we have a podcast and live shows, we have a, a private Slack channel now, um, is because the, the best part of what we try to do is build a community around all this awesome technology, right? So there's however many thousands of people that want to go learn Cinema 4D, After Effects, Motion Design, um, and want to eventually, um, many of us want to eventually b get paid to do this for a living. So what we, what I first see Grayscale Gorilla as is a community of people that are passionate about motion design, 3D animation, and are want to make more beautiful stuff. So that's really the key. So then around that, what supports the community and what supports our site and our team, we have six people now, are plugins and training. So we have, like I said, over four or five hundred hours. I got If you're making something to impress your motion nerd friends, then you can't use the presets. You know what I mean? Like they're going to know you used the, the shine red and orange preset. Your client doesn't. That's, this is not their world. You're making stuff to, to impress them and their, their customers. So every once in a while, I'm in a situation where I'm not sure I'm making the right decision. There's that part inside of me, you guys, if I'm being honest, that says, go back to doing whatever you're doing and don't do this thing that you're about to do. What am I talking about? Well, let me take you back to Las Vegas, NAB 2017. I got an invitation to go to a Cinema 4D Maxon after party. And it was going to be at the Pinball Museum. That was the hook for me. I love playing pinballs. So I was given some obscure instructions to meet somewhere at a certain entrance at the MGM Grand Hotel. And I spent 30 minutes, I swear to you, this is not an exaggeration, bouncing from one entrance to the other looking for the golden lion, which nobody knew what I was talking about. 
And I'm standing outside where I think I'm supposed to be. And it's one of these weird back alley situations, right? It's it's one of these weird back alley situations where nobody's there. And I see the shuttle, which I'm assuming is it. I look at the guy. He looks back at me. He makes no motion like, come on in. Let me help you. So I assume this is the wrong thing. There's no signage or anything like that. And think I've wasted a perfectly good night. I should be heading back to my hotel room and getting some rest because I am beat. Tomorrow's a big day. And right then and there, I was thinking, you know what? I don't want to hike out to the main entrance and get a cab. A cab pulls up. Just kind of in the distance, I see a headlight. And I'm thinking, I don't know if he's dropping somebody off. He pulls up to the curbside. I look at him and motion, hey, are you picking people up? He goes, yeah, where are you going? And I tell him, I'm going to the pinball museum. Really nice guy. And he says, you know what? Are they open? I said, yeah, no, of course they're open. There's a party going on there. He says, I'll take you. So I get in the car and I head on out there. And I was thinking, maybe, maybe this was meant to be. Maybe I'm supposed to go to this party. And then as I'm heading there, I'm thinking, all right, now that my body is committed to this thing, now the second fear pops into my head. I don't know anybody at this party. Who am I going to talk to? This is so weird. This is not my thing. I am not good in social situations just like this. I get out of the cab. I go in and I do what I normally do, which is, you know what? Let me just get some water, some ice water, something like that. I'm making steps towards the bar. And I'm telling you, within 20 feet of walking in from this museum, this voice from behind says, Christo! And I turn slowly, thinking, I don't recognize the voice. It's so my, I'm like, panic is setting in. Like, who is this person? How do I know them? And I don't want to embarrass myself. And like, somebody knows me and I don't know them. It's a weird situation to be in. Turn over, he reaches out his hand. And it's Nick Campbell from Grayscale Gorilla. Now, this is a pretty lengthy intro for us. Why am I telling you this story? Maybe this podcast was meant to happen. Nick and I have never spoken before, and we chatted for 45 minutes straight. If he wasn't hosting the event, we probably would have talked all night long. Stick around for episode one, you guys. This is a two-part series. I think you're going to really like this. It's always nice when you find kindred spirits, people who are in the education space. There's not a lot of us, so when you meet another person that's doing the same thing but farther along in their career, it's awesome to sit down and talk. And Nick was super gracious, so I knew I had to get this on a podcast. My name is Nick Campbell, and uh, I run Grayscale Gorilla. And man, I, I just love playing and learning. That's uh, that's that's what I try to fill my days with. Okay, so since you're coming on to our podcast and being so gracious, I want to let people know what Grayscale Grayscale Gorilla is, in case they don't know. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Grayscale Gorilla, we, we consider it our job to make motion designers' jobs easier. So we started off mostly as a training site to, you know, learn about Cinema 4D and other motion design, you know, software. We do a little bit of After Effects in there. And it all stems from the idea that, you know, we're, we're trying to speed up the workflow and make your job easier. So now we have you know, uh, tens of thousands of customers that buy our plugins, products, our HDRI packs, texture packs, animation tools, and training all to help you become a better motion designer. And also, 
um, help get out what's in your head and put it on the screen and do it in an efficient way so that you can, you know, charge your customer or charge your clients more money and just do your best work. So that's kind of our our mission. We consider our mission to make the motion design process as fun and as easy as possible, starting right when you are interested in all this stuff all the way through to when you have clients and when you're, you know, starting to charge. So, yeah, so that's what we do. If you're into motion design, come check us out. We uh, we got a plenty of tutorials to get you up and running. Yeah, you do. And you you do podcasting, right? And you do YouTube videos. You're releasing so much content. You're streaming online too because I remember looking at one of your streams and thinking, I wonder where this is going to go. Like, what is, how is he going to do this? And I was probably a little bit geeking out and fascinated by the technology you're using, let alone just the personality and all that kind of stuff on camera. Now, I have to admit something. I've known about your product longer than I've known you as a human being. Okay, so when did Grayscale Gorilla start? Wow, so the the site itself has a has a weird history. Uh, it started off as a photo blog when I was um, kind of amateur photographer back when digital cameras were new and super expensive, and four megabytes was uh, was a fifteen hundred dollar camera for me, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I got obsessed. My 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 history has always just been obsessed with how things work. I just I love asking how do you do that? How do things work? And when photography uh, was a slow process of learning, where you had to do film and wait for it and go pay a bunch of money to see how many mistakes you made, it just wasn't compelling. And as digital photography took off, I you know got into um, the gear and got into the idea that that this is a good way for me to start to learn some design concepts. And we'll get into my kind of maybe design history and how I accidentally learned to become a better designer. But uh, to get to the site, Grayscale Gorilla was a photo a day blog for three or four years. I posted a photo a day, uh, which really meant uh, I took about two to 300 photos a day, went back through and found my favorite ones. I learned, you know, composition and a lot about lighting and photography. And so it started off there. Um, As blogs became a thing, so I'm starting to date myself, but, um, you know, as blogs online became a thing, I thought, well, let me add a blog uh, uh, part to this website, not just a photo a day. Let me also answer some of these questions that people have been asking me. Hey, uh, you know, they would ask me, Nick, you know, what lenses are you using? What gear are you using? How do you use Photoshop? Uh, how do you color correct? And so I started a blog and I started making video tutorials, which were also a newer concept at the time. And I'm, I'm sure you remember some of these days, you know, YouTube was only a, a couple years old at this point. And so I started putting out videos on Vimeo and YouTube all about my camera gear and all that. Well, the photo gear stuff turned into After Effects stuff when, you know, some of my, you know, some of the people that watched the website and followed along learned that I worked at uh, Digital Kitchen in Chicago. And they said, hey, you know, you also know After Effects. Why not do some After Effects tutorials? I said, that's a great idea. You know, my favorite teachers um, have always, you know, my, some of my favorite teachers I've learned just through, through you know, DVD series and VHS series. Like, I, I loved the concept of teaching online. So I just started doing these videos and sitting down behind After Effects and Photoshop and making tutorials. Well, as, you know, as... After Effects um, turned, as my obsession with After Effects turned more and more into an obsession with Cinema 4D, um, I also started making tutorials there as well. 
So again, it all came back. It all comes back to just me being interested in all this technology and how it works and how to make beautiful stuff. So um, wait, before you go further, yeah, I, I want to get some timestamp here. Like, what year are we talking about? Because when you mentioned these things, I'm like, I think I know what year that is, but I just want to be sure. <laughs> What are so, we talking about here? This is around 2007, 2008. So right when you know YouTube and Vimeo started popping up as um, places to put video for free, that was the key. You could you could put video online before that, but it cost so much money, and it was the size of size of a postage uh, stamp. I remember that. <laughs> you know, so. Um, this was around, you know, 2003 or four was when I started the the photo blog. That's when I went to school. I was in Chicago, you know, learning how to, um, learning how to, I was building my career at that point, right? I was learning After Effects. I was going to school and uh, photography was just one of those things I was obsessed with. So, uh, you know, I, I wish it was a more direct story, but I, these accidental things, um, I think play a huge part in everyone's life. You know how how you learn certain things. The way that I learned design through photography really helped me with all this stuff. But I feel like I'll probably get off topic if you let me. But so that was that was the 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 year. And so to get to the site as it is now, um, somewhere around two thousand eight two thousand nine, I realized um, I had an opportunity. I was I was learning all this stuff. I was loving my job at Digital Kitchen. I loved learning and and playing around with design and loved After Effects, loved Cinema 4D. But there was this new thing I was interested in and it was business. I realized that I was interested in running my own business. I had some success on the iTunes store. I made some um, some iPhone apps and those were you know selling and doing well. I was even experimenting at the time with stock photography and stock video, um, which introduced me to the concept that that I could potentially make something once and then sell it ongoing. Ooh, I'm rubbing my hands together now. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> I read the books, right? I read the the Four Hour Work Week. I read mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk stuff. I read these things in terms like passive income and all this stuff was kind of floating around. But it wasn't until I realized that I could literally take photos. Because I said, like I said, I was taking hundreds of photos a day. Literally, take photos that weren't necessarily artistically valuable, but were um, valuable to other people. So textures, you know, backgrounds, really simple photos that other people could buy and use ongoing. So th- it was, it really was an eye-opening opportunity to say, "Wow, this is interesting. I could obsess over something like photography or Cinema 40 or After Effects, put the work in, make, make." as beautiful things as I could and then put it out into the world. And if it's valuable to other people, I could potentially make money on that ongoing and not always have to trade my hour for a dollar. Oh, so good. Okay. I'm trying to write notes as fast as I can about things that we can talk about. I just want to clarify a couple of things and, and maybe I, you said it, but I wasn't listening because I was busy writing. What did you study and what school did you go to again? So I went to the AI school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets tricky in Chicago because there's the Art Institute down there, but it's the Illinois Institute of Art is where I went. Um, and I got one of those degrees that they never know how to name it. You know, it's it's like 
digital media production, I think mm -hmm. was officially the title. But what it really was, was a little bit of filmmaking, a little bit of editing, a little bit of After Effects, Photoshop. It's kind of one of those, let's teach you a little bit of everything kind of degrees. And what drew you to that program or that major or that school? You know, um, it, I, looking back on it, what I was really obsessed about was After Effects. I, um, I saw work back, you know, right when the, right now I'm really dating myself, right when the internet was, uh, you know, hot, letting video online at all, you know, I started watching things like MK12 and. Oh yeah, sweater porn. Dude, the, the, the sweater porn video and the um, man of action video were basically the two things that got me way into this. Uh, that, and then I was also obsessed with, a, with music videos. So the whole Michelle Gondry, um, like, uh, you know, series of DVDs, right? The, the Chris Cunningham and... Yeah, yeah. It's the director series. I think that's what it's... Yeah, I have that. Oh my God, so good. So I was... I knew I was obsessed with short film and short media and commercial work. And then MK12 kind of packaged it all up for me because I was obsessed with recording. I was doing record, recording engineering at the time. I was a Pro Tools nerd. And what I realized was... After Effects was my answer. For about 10 years of my life, I looked into After Effects and I said, this tool here not only helped make all this stuff that I find beautiful, but it accepts all of the weird, disparate things that I'm into right now. It, it, you could throw photography in After Effects. You could throw video. You could throw audio in After Effects. You could throw 3D in After Effects. You could do 3D in After Effects, right? Like that was new back then where you could fly around in After Effects in, in, in 3D. Um, so I go, that's what I wanted. So I picked a school basically to say they are they are going to teach me how to take this piece of software and uh, and learn enough about it to go get a job doing this because I know I just want to sit here and obsess over this tool. Well, you probably know some of the story as you go in. I realized that the more I learned about this tool and the more I understood how every button in After Effects worked. And then I tried to make my own work and I would look at my final renders and go, my stuff looks nothing like MK12. <laughs> what, what am I, what button am I missing here? What, uh, what plugin do I need to buy that will make me look more like MK12? And it was um, luckily some smart friends of mine that said, dude, you just suck at design. <laughs> we call those people friends. <laughs> uh, those are my favorite friends, man. Yeah. I tell you what, if you, if you have a friend that could tell you when you got a booger or when you when you're bad at design, that's a good friend, man. And and luckily, I I had those friends. So mm. they said, not only are you bad at it, but the good news is is they they kept going. They 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 also said this is why you're bad at design and and this is how to make it better. And they started teaching me the tools. Um, and showing me maybe some of the classes too that I should take to go learn design. Was this in school or is this at, at Digital Kitchen? So it was in, in school, there was a, a, a few of my friends that said, yo, you got to learn type. You got to go learn these things. And some teachers too that kind of took me under their wing. But it wasn't until I worked at Digital Kitchen when the when, when two things happen, the gloves really came off on the negative side where they said, you need to learn this. Like Nick, you know every button in After Effects, you're a good animator, but if you don't learn these design skills, like you're bringing us all down, right? So luckily I also had mentors at Digital Kitchen that said, hey dude, 
you need you need some design boot camp mm. and they brought me under their wing and they said here's why you don't use the lasso typeface here's why <laughs> we're using papyrus and comic sans as well <laughs> well why would they put them there unless unless you're supposed to use them chris that's fair enough <laughs> i thought you throw everything at it right i was i was in the mind of like well design is throwing a lot at something. And they they taught me how you could be elegant in design. They taught me how I should focus on using three fonts and just understanding how those typefaces work and work within the boundaries. Um, they taught me to limit my color palette, limit my f font choices. Like, you know what, Here, here's the thing for me is I'm, I didn't get into this because I was a designer. I didn't want to be a designer. That wasn't my goal. I didn't want to be an artist. I just wanted to make the cool stuff I saw on TV. And what what not a lot of, you know, nobody pulled me aside and said, the reason that stuff is beautiful that's on TV is beautiful is because it's designed well, not because they know more software than you do. And that was a long, I still learned that lesson, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I still look at my work and go, what plugin do I need to, to make it look like um, Chris Cunningham? And it, it it isn't. It's all about design. And that that was a long lesson for me. So, you know, to, to, to get it back into the website, whenever we teach, you know, we have over 500 hours of online training right now. Wow. And whenever we teach, our goal is to teach the technology, like you need to know the tech, but to always try to include why we are making the decisions we're making. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. We're tr we're trying to teach you a little bit of the design stuff as we teach you the tech because they have to go hand in hand or else, you know, it's not going to look the way you want it to. So that's been a um, a big push for us. And it's been a big struggle for me as as a reluctant designer, you know, <laughs> like learning these these concepts. I just I didn't know I need to learn. You know, what's really interesting about what you just said there was that a lot of people in our community that are people listening to this right now are self-taught. And when they find out about the rules of design, and there are rules and theories, this is the foundation of what makes for good design. They have one of two reactions. The, the general reaction is, no, that's dumb. That's, I don't want to do that. And they continue on kind of blissfully ignorant about what good design is and then they struggle with getting work or producing work that measures up to that work that they admire so i love hearing from you where you kind of just threw yourself on the sword and it's like okay i do suck like i know it's not that good and so teach me give me the limitations tell me the theory give me the foundation that i need and i'm sure then you saw your work transform pretty quickly yeah absolutely i I think if I'm good at anything, it's that I'm a good student. Um, I, I, I think that's one of one of the things I'm good at. Probably the thing that help, has helped me become more successful um, has I've always felt like I'm a student. I always have something to learn. So with, when there's somebody that makes better work than I do that has some advice for me, I'm going to take it. And more importantly, I'm going to put it into action, right? Because it's easy to hear why it should be different, but it's much it's it's much more difficult to go take any advice. This goes with any advice, by the way, to take the advice and go put it into action. And I think that's one of the things that I've I've um, that has really helped me in my career is the ability to go, okay, 
uh, you you obviously know more about this. Um, and having that student mind of saying, I'm open and I am I, I want to be better. How? How do I go be better? So, um, man, it, it really did help. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of one mentor in particular that was really tough. He was a tough guy. And I kind of thrive on those personalities that are a little bit too blunt, you know. Um, but over and over again, he would walk by my desk and go, dude, not good. Like, you got to step this up. Try this. Move this. And and what was really good was he didn't just reach in and change it. Uh, like, he didn't just reach up into my, you know, uh, grab my mouse and just go change it for me. Because that I wouldn't have learned that way. He asked me good questions and he said, what if you tried this? And it, does this seem too busy or too simple? He would ask me these really great questions. And I remember the one day he walked by and I was waiting for like, I was waiting for my little critique of the day and my little, my little head shake of shame from him from the day. And instead he came by and he goes, dude, it's looking good, man. And he walked away and I'm like, I'm shivering now just telling you the story because that moment was when like I did, I felt like I was getting better. And he, he like just that one little simple phrase, like, let me know too, like this is working. Um, it took a lot of work, but yeah, I mean, learning design skills was a struggle for me. Uh, it still is a struggle, <laughs> but <laughs> it's huge. It's so huge. So many layers to peel back here. I love this part. So I want to dive in a little bit deeper and have you I'm going to give you some space to think and then hopefully you can come back with a great response but you mentioned this thing like maybe your best attribute your best skill is to be a good student I always describe myself as a life learner so what you're saying resonates with me Uh, I'm not a young person and I still feel like there's still so much more to learn and the more you learn the more I realize the more I don't know it's like only those that are ignorant or uh, what I don't know what the other word is, think that they already know it all. To know that you don't know, right? That's, that's I think that's the Socrates thing. And you now just mentioned something about the Socratic approach. When this friend, art director, creative director came by your desk, he didn't just give you prescriptive things to do. Whether he did it with your mouse or just told you what to do, he would ask you questions. And by leading you through self-discovery, it allowed for you to find the answer yourself and have deeper meaning with that. So the question for you, and you've already mentioned a couple of them, is what makes for a really great student? You mentioned having an open mind, but how do you overcome that initial defensiveness? Because we have attachment to the work, right? And people come to me all the time and say, oh, what do you think of the work? And then I would say three things and they would defend every single thing along the way. So you really don't want to change anything. So I'm going to move on. So how how is it that you don't have that ego? And how did you get rid of that? Or was it there? I mean, what's your trick? Um, that's, uh, Let me think about that. I'm glad you said I could have a little space to think. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that pops into my head with that is self-awareness of how my work stacks up to my heroes. The ability for me to look at my work and know that it doesn't look like, insert your favorite studio here, in my case, MK12, for me to look at that and know that I put a lot of work and energy into this thing and then it still doesn't have the same polish and the same keyframes and the same design as my stuff, 
that pushes me to find a better answer. So, so to tie it into becoming a good student, it's it's understanding that th- that the answer is only available if you ha- if you know that there's a problem. If you have no problems, right? If everything's fine, like like the the example that you gave, if if they look at the work and they say no, it's perfect as it is, and there's nothing that needs to be changed about it, well, that um, that does not invite uh, any space in your own head to change anything. And here's the other part. It also doesn't encourage others around you to share what works for them. So it's not just a barrier to your own head to, to make changes. It's also a barrier to finding the mentor that can help you. Because if somebody wants to come up and if, if, if somebody were to say, hey, your design stuff is pretty bad and I want to help you, and I were to say, no, it's not, it's fine, end of conversation. Like They're not going to come back to me tomorrow and give me another tip about design. They, they're like, he doesn't want to be helped. Uh, I'm going to stay away. So uh, you know, I guess this does get back to an open mind, but it's understanding that, you know, it's understanding that you're you are not where you want to be and you have more to learn. And I think that's what makes a lifelong learner. Like you said, is the more, you know, the more you don't know, the more you understand how much more there is out there to do it. So I, I try to have that, um, feeling in general. Uh, I definitely still am connected to my own work sometimes. You know, we, we make a lot of, uh, plugins now and software and, and I still find myself going, I think it should be this way. And when I think about it, it it doesn't need to be any certain way other than that's how I think it should be, right? So I still struggle with this. Um, but ultimately, if you look, if you, if you're looking for the truth, if you're looking for something better, you have to make space for it in your head. I think what you're talking about even goes beyond because when you first said you have to have an open mind, meaning I'm receptive to hearing external criticism you're saying invite it seek it mm-hmm. and they're connected so when you listen and you grow and you're you're actually like uh almost like um i don't know like a pet it's like the the, the boss is coming by it's like I'm, I'm really excited about it and here they come they're gonna say it and i'm gonna grow and you looked at it all the criticisms are designed to help you grow so there's a mind sh- uh, mind shift a mindset change there Instead of looking as negative, like your work is not good enough, these are just opportunities to learn and grow. The other thing that you said was about being really objective, detaching yourself from your own work and then holding it up as if it were made by somebody else and comparing it to your heroes and saying, well, why did it fall short? What is the difference between these two? Because I can feel it. I might not be able to articulate it, but I feel it. What did you want to say? No, I, I, I think um, you articulate it better than I do, which I'm glad <laughs> glad you're writing this stuff down. I am. You know, it it is it is about craving that feedback. You know, we we would do we we do stuff on our site like render challenges. We used to do uh, five second projects where it was five seconds of animation that you submit and and do that and it's a it's a it's a really great thing for the community and we love doing them but one of the things we found is that it was just a bunch of hey good job hey good job hey good jobs um 
and there wasn't as as much of that critique. So one of the things we started to do was say, hey, reach out to maybe some friends of yours, some closer friends, maybe other people that are in the design industry and say, hey, can you tell me one or two things you like about this and one or two things you don't like about it? And really structuring that feedback and really asking for honest feedback because they won't, people won't give it to you um, if you don't ask. It's very rare that somebody's going to come up and say, um, hey, th- this could be better for you and this is how, um, how it could be better. So, so if, you, if you're vulnerable, if you're open and you say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, uh, can you help me with it? People love to help. Like people love to help. This is something that I don't think um, a lot of people understand. People think they're going to, a lot of students think they're going to bug somebody if they go ask for help. But think of the last time that somebody walked up to you on the street and asked you for directions. If you live in a city, this happens more than if you uh, if you don't live in the city. But when I was in Chicago, people would come up and go, hey, where's the Lego store? You know, I'd be downtown and I'd be like, dude, let me tell you, you got to go here. It's a little hard to find. You can kind of take a right and boom. How how good did I feel after that? Right. Like how how good of a person did I feel just by giving some directions? So if you invite these people into your world and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Is there something that you do? that can help me move forward in my career, in my design, in my animation, wherever you are in your world. Um, It is good for both of you. People like to help. People like to share what's worked for them. And again, they also like to see progress in you. If you say, hey, good idea, and then don't do anything about it, that that, that relationship can go away, at least the the helpful part of it. Um, So I, I always... Again, ask for feedback and then I implement it. Even if even if I'm not sure if it's gonna work for me, I try it. I make sure that I try it first and then go, that doesn't work for me. Rather than that, rather than that's a really subtle difference. Rather than just say, that ah, that won't work for me. I try it first and then I go, I I should not do a uh, hundred push-ups. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, like this this works for more than just design. This is the real right. this is the real mindset of becoming better at whatever you're trying to do. Right. Well, you're, you're touching on a couple of things here. One of the four pillars of happiness is perceived progress. So the people that, oddly enough, sometimes invite criticism, don't want it. So you're happy, just keep doing the same thing. That's fine. Don't invite it. But when you're talking about this relationship between you and a potential mentor or just a friend who's going to give you some advice they they get joy in helping you it feels good in the heart feels good for the soul but if you don't make progress and they're like well i'm wasting my time either i'm a bad teacher or you're a bad student or something i'd rather go spend my energy doing something else so this is about growth and that's awesome um and the thing you talked about not dismissing something that you don't intuitively understand and just going for it it's how you expand your palette. It's how you expand everything, a new technique, whatever it is. I think, oddly enough, you and I, we share very similar life philosophies because when you're talking about these things, I immediately relate to it. That's probably why you're so successful doing what you do. Can we jump into the business stuff? Dude, I, lo- I love business stuff. Okay, let's do the business stuff. So how would you describe Grayscale Gorilla? Is it a product platform? Is it an educational thing? 
How do you describe it to yourself, to your team, and to others? Well, I, the the main way I think about Grayscale Gorilla is as a community. So to me, the reason we're everywhere, the reason we have a podcast and live shows, we have a, a private Slack channel now, um, is because the the best part of what we try to do is build a community around all this awesome technology, right? So there's however many thousands of people that want to go learn Cinema 4D, After Effects, Motion Design, um, and want to eventually, um, many of us want to eventually get paid to do this for a living. So what we, what I first see Grayscale Gorilla as is a community of people that are passionate about motion design, 3D animation, and are want to make more beautiful stuff. So that's really the key. So then around that, what supports the community and what supports our site and our team, we have six people now, are plugins and training. So we have, like I said, over four or 500 hours. I gotta redo my math here. There's so much free training that we pr provided over the last eight years that you can come in and start to learn however you want, right? You could start to learn the basic design stuff. You could start to learn After Effects. You could come into our, our world and start to learn these concepts. Um, and then, you know, we provide plugins and training and more advanced training uh, to help you get to your goal faster. So our plugins are designed around working very quickly um, and our, our training is, is designed about teaching you very quickly. So our goal is to kind of speed up that process to go from not knowing or to even think about some of our previous conversation to go from knowing that you're not quite where you need to be to getting closer to that goal in less time. So that's kind of how I see our site is a community of people that are passionate about this. And we're just here to help you. We're here to help the community get better at it. We're, we do the podcast to talk about some of these things about business. The last uh, episode was all about negotiating your first salary and um, talking about you know how you, how you approach that topic. A lot of designers, and I know you talk a lot about this, a lot of designers don't want to talk about money. So our goal is to help the motion designer build their career. That's great. I love that you described it like that because I wasn't thinking of it like that. So that's really cool. That gives me a lens into how you see yourself in the company. For everybody that's listening right now that might not be in the motion 3D space or even in the design space, but are they're curious, where does all this content live? Where do they go? Uh, yeah, if they want to see our stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you can go to grayscalegorilla.com and uh, it's a really awful name to have when you're trying to spell it out loud in audio. There's uh, a couple different grays. There's a couple different gorillas, but uh, I tell you what: if you just type in uh, Cinema 4D, we'll be at the we'll be at the first three links on Google. So you, wow. you don't even have to worry about that. In fact, Damn. If you, in fact, here's a here's a fun one. If you are interested at all in learning 3D, um, just type in Intro to Cinema 4D, and we'll be the first link that's not an ad um, on Google, and you could sign up and start learning for free. Cinema 4D right now. Great. That's uh, probably the best way to do it. So our audience is all going to rush out right now. They're going to hit pause on the podcast and jump and check this <laughs> out. But that's cool. When they come back, we got some more business stuff to talk about. Okay, so let's let's dive into this part. You said there are six people at Grayscale Gorilla. Does that include you or is that excluding you? Uh, that is with me. With you. And can you yep. tell me a little bit about the titles or roles? Like what does a, a team of six look like that's building this 
community? Yeah, so currently there's uh, a creative director who's Chad Ashley, um, which, which, funny story, he's one of the mentors that really wa- uh, built me um, and showed me how 3D works and how design works. So oh. one of those, one of those people that um, that I describe in the stories that was over my shoulder saying, "Hey, this is how to be better." I was able to build a company to eventually hire him. So we could talk about that too, but that's Chad. He has um, been in the industry for 20 years. He's built teams. He's worked in post houses, boutique shops. He's built his own 3D pipelines. Um, one of the most talented 3D artists that I know. Um, so he's our creative director and he is uh, in charge of day-to-day operation and also um, uh, a lot of the plug-in design and kind of where we're going with our new market. So um, if, if, if you think about Cinema 4D, just real quick aside, the, the Cinema 4D um, journey has gone from kind of a new piece of software with new uh, n- new people that are, maybe they know After Effects, maybe they're a little bit interested in Cinema 4D. And one of the reasons that that program took off is because it caters more to designers. So it's not it's less technical it's less of a nerdy you know platform like other 3d packages it's much more approachable i guess that's a better way to say it and so it's it's been a it's been an evolving uh, market but now cinema 4d is being used in feature films and every broadcast uh um team that that any 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 team in a in a house or a lot of these teams like that are being built in in individual companies are using Cinema 4D. So all that to say is, we're we're glad to have Chad on board because he represents, um, you know, a, a much more higher end user and and really knows this stuff. So Chad is um, our creative director. We also have uh, Chris Schmidt, and he's in charge of software and development, and he's also probably the person that knows more about Cinema 4D than anyone else I know. If there's a button in Cinema 4D, Chris knows about it and he knows how to use it. So not only is he a great teacher, and uh, I'll add this to the list, um, these people also work with us because they're great teachers. So we can get into what I think a great teacher is, but they have to be able to share what they know and to be able to to communicate it in a clear way. So Chad, Chris, awesome teachers uh, as well. Uh, so then we have two programmers they're actually Chris's brothers. And uh, so we have three brothers all working together that help create the software and to you know build parts of Cinema 4D that we think can be a little bit easier to use, um, we think can be a little bit more beautiful. Uh, that team helps us build the, the plug-in side of things. And then we have Jacqueline is uh, HR, customer service, um, you know, sh- if she if she left, the whole company would fall apart. You know, the she's making sure the bills are getting paid, making sure that the emails are getting answered. Um, she just, she has so many, um, you know, different parts of the company that she helps, but that's uh, Jacqueline. If uh, if you've contacted customer support, you've talked to the Jacqueline, you, you, you know how great she is. Um, and uh, so that's all of them except for me. So I consider my role now as um, I consider more my role split between making sure that the team has what they need to operate. Um, and, and I'm learning actually a lot about that stuff right now. Talk about stuff I need to learn more about. Uh, I'm learning about how to, 
you know, build a business, right? And, and to give my team the things that they need to succeed. And then I also have my, uh, you know, tutorials, podcasts, uh, all the other stuff that I do for the website. A lot of, you know, hanging out on Twitter, answering questions and doing those things. So um, as any growing company, it's it's a little scattered. We're still figuring a bunch of stuff out, but, uh, and we're, that's uh, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a that's a bird's eye view of of what the team is and and what we all do. So I want to dive more into the business, just rapid fire, and then I got so many questions asked now. Not, the more you talk, it's like I'm I'm writing fiercely here. Couple of things: Is everybody in Chicago? Or are they working remotely? How does that work? So starting um, about two years ago, we all decided that we're going to experiment with working from home or shared or shared workspace. So there was a time when most of us worked downtown Chicago and uh, in a shared work area. And when that went away, um, we all decided, all right, let's let's see what this looks like. Let's you know, there's a lot of books from Jason Fried and 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 others talking about working remotely. Um, and we said, let's let's give it a shot. So I actually moved back home to Michigan where I grew up. And that's where I am. That's where I'm speaking to you now, uh, back near uh, near Detroit area, and um, the rest of the team is in Chicago, and but they're spread out all over the place. Some work from home, uh, and others have um, uh, remote workspaces as well. So we're we're uh, we're one of those companies that doesn't have a a central location. You know, it's it's um, it's been fun though. We're we're learning a lot about you know how to communicate through Slack and email and getting a lot done. And what what are some of the challenges? Like if I'm a boss, I'm an entrepreneur, and I like this idea where people can work from home, kills the commute, you can spend more time with family. What are some of the challenges about working with a remote team? How do you keep everybody on the same page and synced? And is it more of a hassle to coordinate and manage a remote team? Um, for us, it's it's worked out really well. I, I'd say the challenges are just communication in general. Uh, if, if you're in the same room, especially somebody that talks with their hands a lot. That's me. Uh, if you're in the same room, it's so much easier to get across like emotionally what you're, what you're trying to say. Uh, so, you know, we do a lot of video calls that helps us a lot. We, we hop on video even just for a five, 10 minute question, because we know that it's clear at the end, we could like almost look into each other's eyes in a way and know, all right, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. It's not ambiguous like text can be, and we can both emotionally like have this connection and go, okay, let's go get it done. The, the, the reason though that I think it works well for us is I've, I've always, I've, I've always, when you build a company, you're, you're able to build your own world. And for me, my favorite bosses, um, and I've had good and bad bosses, but my favorite bosses were the ones that said, hey, uh, I don't mind if you work nine to five. I don't mind if you work midnight to eight in the morning. You have deadlines to hit and however you get your work done is up to you. So do your work, hit your deadlines and everything will be fine. And so I've always appreciated that kind of flexibility. So that's also who I tend to hire are people that are self-managed um, and self-aware of how they get their best work done. And then it's just about giving them space you know, hopefully, you know, and I'm, I'm learning to be a better boss over time, but giving them space to get their best work done, whether it's, you know, 
if it's some of us, some of the team wakes up early and they're in the Slack channel early and, and some of them don't show up till, till noon. Um, but the goal, if we all know what the goals and deadlines are, then the how it gets done could be much more relaxed. And we just have calls and say, how is this going? Is there anything you know we need to talk about or, or schedule? But flexibility of work and understanding that you could trust somebody is a huge part of this remote process because I don't have to walk by their desk and look and see if they're working. The, the results always speak for themselves, right? They either hit a deadline or they don't or whatever, right? But um, hiring people that can manage themselves is a huge part of this process. Um, and I'd like to think that that's the team that we're building as well. Perfect. So are you finding that by working this way and this kind of experiment that you've embarked on that people are happier and more productive? You know, it's, uh, I would, I would, I would much rather ask them than, than try to guess. But my, my feeling is that, um, well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take Chad, for example, he's told me this directly. He used to have an hour long commute one way to Chicago downtown. And so he lived in the, in the suburbs and he would commute to Chicago in traffic, um, or, and sometimes on the train, but still over an hour every day and then an hour home every day. And he has a family, he has kids. And for him, for someone like him that's, that he's been doing this for years um, to now wake up and work from home, he's expressed, you know, um, a huge uptick in just just happiness and, and being around family and, and less stress and all that stuff. So I know for him um, it works. I, I'll say it for me, too. Um, I, so I'm in a, I'm in a office space here. I'm in a shared office space in a little town in Michigan and I wake up and ride my bike to work. You know, it's only a mile and a half and the amount of pleasure I get out of that, that alone, like no car, no commute has, has helped me, um, definitely be more happy and I think more productive as well. So what, you know, if, if, if there was something to say to people out there is try to find out what makes you the most productive i think it is different for everybody some people want to go work around other people in a shared space some people like working from home some people want to go work in an office but find out what makes you happy and the most productive and try to try to build that world for yourself so we're we're experimenting for sure and i think it's a little too early to know how successful but so far so good man so uh how long has it been i want to say it's almost two years now so I've, I've been in Michigan for, um, oh. I've been in Michigan for a year, just, uh, just a year, year and a half. Yeah. So I'd say it's about a year and a half to two years. The reason I say it's early though, is because, um, we're also, the company has changed a lot in the last couple of years. So it's not just the same old, but now working from home, there's more people, um, there's more projects we're working on. Um, but if I were to take a poll and say, would you rather go back to where it was? I, I have a. I have a pretty good feeling that the the uh, the the poll would come back. Let's stay at home. Oh, you know what? I, I just realized something. The videos that you produce, who's editing it? Who's doing the camera work, the lighting, and then how do you move those assets back and forth? Yeah. Um, so for ninety nine percent of the the content that we have, it's all self produced. So one thing that that I've tried to do, um, and this is when Grayscale Gorilla started, was try to set up a way that I could make videos very easily without 
a lot of overhead because if I introduced a ton of editing overhead and a ton of production overhead, every time I wanted to turn on the camera, I knew that that would make it less likely that I would go film a video. So what I did was I, I kind of, I don't, I don't want to say I invented it, but for me, I invented my own style of saying, okay, I, I know this technique I want to show somebody. Let me run through it very quickly beforehand just to make sure I'm all prepared, right? Let, let, let's say I'm going to teach you a really simple dynamics tutorial in Cinema 4D where we have a ball and it drops on the floor and it bounces around. Um, what I would do is practice it, make sure I knew how to do it. And then I would flip on the camera and I would use uh, the software called ScreenFlow. And what ScreenFlow does is record your camera, your screen, your audio all at once. And so I could I could do it all in one take essentially. I could say, hey everybody, it's Nick here. I'm gonna teach you this thing. And now let's go, let's go learn it. And I would I would flip to the screen and I would go through the process. And what that introduced, um, now that has its that has its negatives and positives. The positives that it has is that when I messed up, when I actually messed up, and I'm not talking about messing up with with vocals. I think that's okay. I'm just a person here talking. I don't have to be a pro, like uh, a super professional. You could already tell the way that I talk sometimes too fast and lose track of what the heck I'm talking about. I leave all that in. Um, so the the bad news of leaving all that in is sometimes it could run long, sometimes it could be a little bit floaty, but the good news of leaving all that in, especially for new users, is they get to see I nobody knows everything. And and when you look, and I'm sure you know this, when you go look around at some of your artists and them doing their work, 50% of their job is to go mess up first and say that's not the right direction. That's not the right direction. That's not the right direction. Okay, now it's looking better. And that creative process is lost in tutorials that are super edited. And you end up with this idea that artists look at these professional tutorials that are ultra edited, perfect, right? They say, type in the number 20 and put this exact color red in and yours looks like mine now. And what that is, that is a that's a not a real way of learning <laughs> that is just seeing exactly how they do it and if they're if they're saying just type this number in and not explaining to you what this number means and not messing up a little bit in the process you're not learning the real tools to allow you to go build stuff for yourself you'll only be able to just do that one tutorial and not be able to integrate it with your entire workflow so as always i i'll I'm, I'm talking too long about this, but for me, um, the ability to record quickly was a huge part of us having this many videos out there. So as I brought Chris in, Chris was already a great teacher and he, um, uh, Chris Schmidt, he's already a great teacher. He does a similar process. He flips on the camera and shows you what he does. There's so much content out there now. When we first started this, we were one of the only Cinema 4D training sites, right? Now there's all this stuff you could watch. You could go search it on YouTube and find dozens of places. Um, so in in the near, you know, in the last year or so, we have been focused on tighter editing and a little bit more clear for some of the people in the industry that just want to get in and out. Um, we find that there's a lot of students that want all of it. They want as much as they can, hours and hours and hours. But the professionals, the people that are really sitting behind the box and making stuff for a living, they just want sometimes the answer they want to go how do i do dynamics okay here's a five minute video on how to set it up 
okay, I have time for that. Um, so in the in the last year or so, we've been focused a lot more on um, a little bit tighter, a little bit more editing, and but but still, we mostly do all of our own editing. Sometimes we'll call in an editor to help us out, um, but we try to make it really really simple for now. So do you do that in yourself then? <laughs> See, you're 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 learning that uh, these rapid fire questions. Even if you tell me it's rapid fire, Chris, you know I'm just going to keep talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to cover a lot of ground, so. All right, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. All right, I'm in my rapid fire mode this time. Here we go. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, okay, let, let me see here. You talked about the importance of learning design. I think we've covered that and why that's critical to your success, whether you or not you describe yourself as a designer. You, you need to learn those principles, even if you're just on the animation side. And you also mentioned the business part. That that's important. Now you guys are talking about the importance of learning to negotiate, uh, how to deal with money, and how to have a healthier attitude towards it. So I want to ask you this question: you're, you're running a successful company. There's six of you, and you're doing something wonderful working remotely. Where did you learn your business skills? That is a good question. Um, I would say most of it up until the up until the last couple of years has been through books. So j reading business books, that's always been an interesting, um, it's always been an interesting category for me. I don't know how I became interested in business. I've always, I've always, you know, back when I was, a I was a DJ and I would like price my work and try to get more, uh, I would turn up my rate over time because I knew it was worth more and there's more clients. Like somehow, I early on was interested in how you get to do something for a living. I think that's where it comes from. Understanding um, how behind the scenes, like DVDs, right? And behind the scenes extras showed me that there were people behind the scenes working on computers that made these movies and made these music videos and made all these things. So early on, I was always obsessed with that people seem to be doing stuff that they loved and also getting paid to do it. And so for me, over my career, I've always wanted to align those two things as much as possible. And so when I started to see that I could potentially make plugins and, and support this community and try to make more stuff for them, I started, just like we talked about earlier, I started finding my mentors and finding the places where I was weak and tried to support myself by learning it. So for me, it's been through books. I think books could be one of the best mentors you could find and the cheapest too. For, for 10 to $30, you can go find a book and read exactly how people started their own company and how marketing works and how to price and how all these things happen. So let me, let me interrupt me, you right there. Yeah. Top three most valuable business books you've read. Jeez. I would say uh, Rework by Jason Fried and uh, DHH, Four Hour Work Week, and this one's more maybe more productivity, but uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Perfect. You know, so here's the funny thing. I, I like to fancy myself as a business entrepreneurial minded person teaching business. I have all those books. I've not read any of those books. So this is going to give me more uh, more things to read. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So books are cheap. 
And how do you overcome uh, this thought that it can't be that simple that you're going to pick up this book and that's going to relate to me and my situation, right? I'm not doing base camp. Like, how does rework help me? I'm not Timothy Ferris. I'm not on a TV show and doing podcasts with su- superstars. But it, it does turn out that it, it can help. I want to get your perspective on that. What are you saying to that person? It's like, it can't be that easy. I would say to make it a point to fit it into your world. You 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 can't rely on, uh, especially a book, right? They, they have their own life, their own world, their own company. You can't rely on any book to spell it out for your life. You have to look at it and say, how does this apply to me? And I think some of my... Uh, Some of the most successful things that have worked out for the company have come from books that are totally unrelated to what we do. Um, So in the case of Rework, you know, they they make software um, and they charge their clients for software. And that's we we do that. So that helps. Like that book is really relevant to what we do. We don't do software as a service, but many of those things apply to us. But a book like 4-Hour Workweek, for example, um, isn't. I didn't take that book and say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I like working. I don't want to only work four hours a week. I want to work. I wish there were more days that I could work. Um, But what that book taught me was, you know, the 80-20 principle and focusing on the things that that, uh, matter the most. And and more importantly, creating your own life, creating your own um, place in the world. So when he goes off about how he answers email or how he has autoresponders to say, hey, I don't mess with email and and being clear about communicating to the world how you want to interact with it. Those are the things I learned from books like that, um, that there's another way to do it. You know, and as I talk about this, that's really why I obsess over reading as many books as possible because there are other ways to do it. And a lot of us are raised with, um, this is the way to do it just because of our upbringing or where we lived or our, or the people we hang out with. And the more you read and the more you get other points of view, you say, wow, there's there's other ways to do this. Even if their book isn't the right one, it opens up your eyes to say, well, it worked for them. There's there's another way that I could create my life. And so, yeah, I, you, you, you do have to eventually connect it to yourself but but I would again. It's all about that open mind. It's all about having a a flexible mind and not going into any situation with a fixed attitude. Just understanding that this book was written. This is somebody's favorite book. Go into it with that idea. Yeah. Every song is somebody's favorite song, and every book is somebody's favorite book. And if it's not for you, it's not made for you. It what this book wasn't made. It's not that the book is bad. It's not that the song is bad. This wasn't made for you. That's the attitude I like to have. And mm. and when I see something um, that I don't like, the attitude is not, that's bad. Why does everybody watch watch this movie or whatever? The attitude is, that wasn't made for me. Let's move on. So Let's I, go find something that I, I enjoy. This theme keeps coming up about being a good student, a great student, or a life learner. What you said there was about learning how to map things to your circumstances. A sign of intelligence is an ability to think abstractly. So when you say it's kind of like, okay, well, this chef has done something, but they solved this problem. And that's analogous to me trying to solve this problem for the people who are trying to learn C4D and being able to map that. So that's another key trait that you have. I love that. I would I would add to that, um, and I'll, I'll keep this one short for you, Chris. I would, I would add to that that that's how all learning happens. All learning is a scaffolding. And 
So if you think of something really simple like a color, if I try to describe to you what a color is, okay, yellow. Yellow is like a really bright color. You go, huh, okay, that's not very clear. But as soon as I say, okay, have you ever seen a school bus? And you go, yeah. I go, okay, well, that's yellow, right? Uh, have you ever seen a lemon? Yeah. Okay, well, then that's that's yellow. Now you're you're connecting something that you know with something that you don't know. You know what a lemon is, you know what a school bus is, and now you know what yellow is only because, and this is the key, only because you knew what school buses and lemons are. That's a really dumbed down simple idea, but that's how kids learn. As we get older, that process still applies. So for me, I know a lot about engineering and recording and all that stuff. So when I started to learn After Effects, I saw it all through the eyes of, of that. I tried to connect it all to um, like a timeline. So take a timeline, for example, in After Effects. That is a really tricky process to, to show people that have never seen a timeline before. But I knew what a timeline was because I, was, I did four-track recording and I did Pro Tools and I understood that you know this is how a timeline moves across. So what I was able to do is take things that I did know and, and connect them to things I don't know. And that's how we all learn everything. So you really do have to approach every situation with the idea of how can I connect this back to me? You need to draw the wires back to your specific situation. Excellent. Thanks for expanding on that. Okay. I, I think I can't let you go unless I ask these two other questions. Okay. I know I've taken up a lot of your time already, but marketing, can you talk about your marketing strategy? Because our audience ranges from business owners to students or people who are still trying to figure things out. So how are you, what's your funnel look like, if I may use a business term? Ooh, funnel. That's yeah. a good That's a good word. So we, um, you know, our, our marketing is mostly training. So like I said, if you type in um, how to learn Cinema 4D, how to learn motion design, um, we want to be, we want to be the place that you find. And when you find us, we want to be helpful. Uh, and we want to help you and grab your hand and take you down this, this weird path to become a motion designer. That is, that's our marketing. Um, so that means a lot of free tutorials. That means a lot of podcasts. Uh, however you want to interact with the world, right? We want to, we want to have a way to, to hang out with you and talk to you and share with you what's working for us. Um, so, you know, rather than pay a bunch of money to Facebook and, and Google uh, to try to get at the top of the list, our goal is to provide better value for free than what other people are charging for. Ooh, um, I like that. Is that your yeah. tagline? No, no, I like that, though. I'm going to go get that T-shirt. Yeah, I think you need to before I get it up on our site. So, um, copyright Grayscale Gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that part out. <laughs> oh man, you got you got the editors. That's no fair. Yeah, I do. Um, so that that's the goal. We we want to provide uh, great value up front and and teach. You know, we like I said, it's a community. We love teaching. We love people that love to learn. So you you re you recognize pretty quickly if you're a, a part of Grayscale Grill or not as soon as you join, because our goal is to find the right people help the right people. And then, you know, when they have a job or they have something they need to get done fast or they want to take themselves to the next level, we, we want to provide our tools in front of them and say, hey, this this helps speed you up or this helps teach you something that 
isn't as easy to learn online that where you might need a little bit more support and a little bit more uh, community to learn stuff. Do you do partnerships? Do you do any kind of paid advertising, sponsored things, anything like that? Um, not, no, not a ton. Um, so it's all organic. Yeah. We'll, we'll boost a post here and there on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we want to get the word out about like a a sale we're having or a product launch or, uh, you know, things like that where, or an event, like we do a lot of live shows. Um, and those obviously you just can't watch whenever. So we'll, we'll try to get the word out heavier, but you know, we rely on our newsletter. Um, you know, 60,000 people on our newsletter that, uh, hopefully want to hear from us and things that we're doing. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so far organic, right. I think there is value in, in paying sometimes. Um, but I think because we're more community based, um, that we, we kind of have that luxury of just going out to our community and saying, Hey, we have this, we have this new tool or we have, uh, this new, um, we have this new training series, whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah. So it sounds to me like your marketing is really, the over 400 hours of video content that you've produced produced for free and and that's not even counting the podcast and your top of funnel is your seo because you kind of own the the training space and the c4d space right as you as you talked about before and i recently saw i think it was on youtube a video of you on stage and i think you were interviewing is it beeple Mm -hmm. and is that an event that you produced yeah, so that is Half Res. Um, that's an event in Chicago that uh, it's actually a, a partnership with Grayscale Gorilla and uh, Built Light and our friend um, Jack. We we wanted to start. It was really supposed to just be for Chicago, you know, local uh, uh, motion designers and designers, uh, which there's plenty of. Um, but uh, we started an event. This will be our sixth year this year. And uh, it is a motion design conference. It's one night. It's drinks and communication, you know, uh, meeting all the people that do what you love to do and then presentations. So last year we had Beeple on stage, um, have an interview with Andrew Kramer that's coming out today or tomorrow. I think that's from last year's Half Res. So it's really turned into not just the Chicago thing. It's it's really a national and international event now. We have people flying in from all over the world to come to Half Res. Um, I'd like to, you know, take a moment to try to, you know, invite more people, but I think we just sold out today. So <laughs> if you want to be at Halfrez, go to halfrez.com and uh, sign up and maybe we'll get you in next year. But um, Okay, some of the quick questions. How many people can attend and what is the cost for a ticket? Yeah, so tickets are $30. We make it affordable. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, we, I think it's 320 people right now. That's capacity? That's capacity. Yeah, wow. we're gonna, we're going to talk with them, see if we could open it up for maybe a few more. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, if it is closed out, uh, just sign up. We'll put you on the list. We we won't bug you with emails except to say, hey, there's there's another ticket uh, available. But uh, it's a really fun event. It, it's it's you know I, I I already talked a lot about this, but the the fastest I've ever learned is when I'm in a room with other people that that care as much as I do about something. And so that's how you find mentors. That's how you find jobs. That's how you find the the people that could potentially teach you something. That's how you could find other people to teach, right? Like the when I say it's about a community, I really believe it. it is up to all of us to share what we know and also learn as, as good as we can, because that's how, uh, that's how everything grows. That's how humans grow. We, 
we we are the only species that can learn something new and then pass it on very quickly and directly to the next person and the next generation um, without you know having to do it through our genes, right? We have books, we have videos, we have person-to-person -person interaction. Now, before so our I audience goes bananas, saying, you just talked about an event that sold out. What's the point? Well, you, you record and you post the videos later, right? So people don't have to get all bummed out. Yeah, so it, it, we're actually putting those videos out this week. So what I would say is go check out the interview with Beeple. Yeah, he rarely talks, uh, uh, you know, and and goes on stage. So it, it's a it was a really really fun interview. Please go check that one out. We also have other videos like one from Chad Ashley, all about the past, present, and future of three D animation. We have some friends of ours that started a. And your audience uh, might enjoy this one. We have some friends of ours that started uh, went from freelance to making their own studio. And they talked about some of the challenges going from freelance to starting their own design studio in Chicago. Um, that presentation is up. Um, so yeah, even if you can't make the event, we try to record all the presentations. And you could also go back and look at other half res events. But but it really is. It's about it's a it's about being around other people. So if you can't make half res, go to your local meetup. You know what I mean? Like go hang around the people that do what you do at any cost. And if you're in a town that doesn't have this stuff, go, go find one, like go take a trip, you know, <laughs> like get the hotel. Um, anyway, so yeah, you're right. Not everybody can make half res, but go to events. However, however you can. All right. I'm going to ask you a business question and are you comfortable talking about numbers or no? Um, I haven't in the past as far as our revenue and stuff like that. So where are you today? Are you okay or no? Because I, I asked Blair Ends that and he's like, uh, I'm not ready to talk about that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, uh, yeah, I'll skip that one. But I, I, I'd like to talk to you even off the record on on some of those okay. kind of questions. If you had a moment, because I think you have, a, um, yeah, I, I feel like you would have something good to say. <laughs> well, I just feel like we're in this, look, this is just this is gonna be me gushing for half a second, okay? I just feel like we're in this time and space where I get to talk to you and to Joey and to Michael Jones and all these people who are like really kind of like reshaping the world of education around the, our own philosophies. You're doing a great thing. You have product, tools, community, training, and you're just you're living the dream, and. Andrew Kramer's doing something like that and everybody's getting to do this and the tools and the technology, we're just at the right place, the right time. And I feel like between all of us, some wonderful thing's gonna emerge out of all of this. And I, and I just feel so excited. And you and I could sit down and just talk shop probably for days and just compare notes because I see what you're doing and trying to bring this back to what we uh, what I started at the beginning, which is I knew about your products before I knew of you as a human being. Because guys in my office like, hey, Chris, we need to buy this studio lighting setup. It's like we're we're still in the dark ages of C4D. Like we barely know how to use this thing. And we don't want to spend all the time trying to light it to look make it look like it's real or in a studio. So I believe, if, um, I hope I got this right. I think we bought like a studio lighting kit. So we can just throw some simple things in there and just get on with our day. Because why do we feel so compelled to rebuild what has already been done? Our time is more valuable. And so what you're doing is you're exchanging time. Not not to quote Vaynerchuk, but you're selling time, right? That's your currency. It, it, is, um, it is something that I went through in my career, which is this, this somehow this need to 
do it all from scratch or this need to not cheat or something. You used a plugin, that's cheating. Um, and this 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 mentality, and, and what I'll say is this, if you're making something to impress your motion nerd friends, then you can't use the presets. You know what I mean? Like they're gonna know you used the, the shine red and orange preset. Your client doesn't. That's, this is not their world. You're making stuff to to impress them and their their customers, right? Um, so when you when it when it comes to making real things for real for, for real clients, the more that you can rely on speeding up your process, whether that's presets, whether that's studio lighting, like we have, we 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 also sell HDRIs, which allow you to light very easily. Anything that you can do to set that process up to work faster, as long as it still hits your client's goals. You can't you can't worry about making it all from scratch because you can't you nobody can. Uh, I remember a really quick story. I got a um, somebody asked me on one of our live Q and A's. How do you make a good uh, wood texture? And I said, take a photo of wood and put that in your texture. And they go, no 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 no. That what I'm saying. What I'm asking you is, how do I make? <laughs> a wood texture from scratch and and over and over again i went back and said why would you do that nature's done all the hard work for you it's there go take a really good photo and use it because that's much quicker and much more efficient and it looks better why would you not do that well that's that's cheating it's not listen using computers are cheating watching a video online that somebody's that that's showing you how they how they do it everything's a cheat but this is what we do like learning is cheating you know, um, if you look at it that way, it the possibilities open up. You you have to get that word out of your head and just say, what, how can I make the best thing possible with the time that I have? So, uh, thank so thanks for being a customer, Chris. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thanks for supporting Grayscale Gorilla and uh, <laughs> into the future. This is good. You guys, you guys need more uh, plugins? Can I help? <laughs> you know. I have a story too along those lines and it's it's hard. I get it. Two entrepreneurs, two people who are trying to build a scalable business model where we're we're making passive income, you and I are preaching to the choir as we're sitting here to each other, right? But there's a lot of people out there who do feel that 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 is taking away some of the integrity of the work. But here's to analogous to your computer story is I talked to my brother who's a software engineer, a very smart guy, went to Stanford. And we were working on something and I was doing a drawing and I was like, hey man, shouldn't you code this thing this way? Just like write it from scratch. And he looked at me like, you stupid idiot. He's like, what program are you using there? I said, Adobe Illustrator. He says, do you know what PostScript is? I'm like, no. PostScript is a mathematical language to describe um, an image. And it's like, well, why don't you go and close Illustrator and write PostScript? If you want to draw that logo, you can plot it out using PostScript. And some people actually do. Computer scientists kind of people do. And that's like processing, right? So that's when it dawned on me, like, you know what? I just want the results. I really do. And the faster I can do, the more optimized my workflow. It's almost like you handicap yourself and say, you're not allowed to use keyboard shortcuts because that's faster. That's cheating. You have to drag your mouse everywhere. And every single time, you have to build everything from scratch all the way from the beginning. And that to me is insane. I agree. Okay. I, I have to, because uh, I, I know this other person is out there too saying, but I enjoy, but I enjoy the process of 
building it from scratch. And I enjoy the process of learning what every button does and starting from scratch every time. Or, you know, sometimes it's just a puzzle. Some I, I kind of see it like, why do people do crossword puzzles? Well, it's just this internal need to like solve a problem. And for, for those of you out there that have that attachment to software, I say go for it. I mean, learn and play and figure out all this stuff from scratch. But as soon as you have a client and as soon as you have a deadline, you're doing them and yourself a disservice by not learning how to work more efficiently. So by all means, go play and go do personal work that allows you to go play and build stuff from scratch and plot points out if that's what you want to do. But when it comes to charging your for your time and and charging for uh, a client for your time um, or a project, you're, you're, you're doing both yours. You know, you're, you have to use the tools that speed these things up. Excellent. So here's here's a question. I want to probably wrap it up with this. And I know you and I could sit here and probably talk for a couple more hours. And maybe we need to revisit it on another call or another episode. But going back in your life right now, if you can travel back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself, what, what pearl of wisdom, what kind of piece of advice? And it could be personal. It could be professional. It could be anything. Like, don't take that class. Don't date Susie. She's going to break your heart. Whatever it is, you can say anything. What would you tell your younger self and how would you tell yourself in a way that your younger self could listen and hear? Ooh, that, that second piece is very important. How do you tell yourself at the time? You know, uh, something yeah. I would have been receptive about was um, learning some of the softer skills, um, things like design, things like uh, composition, I think if I were to go back to myself and say, hey, dude, you're really interested in this MK12 stuff. You're really interested in After Effects. And man, you are doing such a good job learning all these buttons and what they do and how to fly a camera around. And that's really cool. But while you're doing that, uh, why not go to community college and start taking a design class or a drawing class or a um, an art class in some way? And try, what I would be doing is trying to convince myself that, uh, that I, I, what I really wanted to become was a designer and I didn't have that language. I just wanted to be an after effects operator. And what I realized, and it took me longer and longer and longer, um, is that the things that I think are beautiful take design skills and design skills is one of those things that you can't just pick up right like a piece of software you could just pick right up you could go learn it and now you know it and and design is like is like juggling there's no amount of teaching that you can give somebody that will instantly make them a great juggler this it takes tons of tons of practice so i would try to convince myself to learn more design skills um that would be my number one focus. Uh, and also, I think business skills, but I, I don't think I would have been ready for that at the moment. I, I, I don't think I would have been receptive to those thoughts of like jumping in. I, I think I had to go through the fire and have good and bad bosses and, you know, go through that whole thing. That that That's ultimately what made me a better business person. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a boring answer, but definitely d design. Learn design, dummy. That's why I'd be yelling at myself. That's perfect. Uh, you heard it from the man. Think long-term, go deep, and resist the need for immediate gratification. That's what software gives you. 
the learning the soft skills about design, typography, composition, all that kind of stuff. It takes time and you don't see the results immediately. But this is what's going to drive you deep into your career and make you stand heads and shoulders above people who don't do that. My name is Nick Campbell, and you're listening to The Future. Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with Nick Campbell. We'll have a follow-up episode to this next week where Stuart and I discuss in greater detail some of the ideas that Nick brought up, and then we'll release the second part of this conversation the week after that. Stay tuned. The Future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. The show is edited by Stuart Schuster. Big thanks to Adam Sanborn, who composed our theme song. To subscribe to The Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now SoundCloud. Make sure you rate and review our episodes. Don't miss out on upcoming events, live streams, workshops, and announcements by going to thefuture.com and sign up for the newsletter link at the bottom. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Future Is Here. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode. See you in the future.